I have mentioned before that Jesus' stories have a way of unsettling us. They challenge our conceptions of how the world works and who God is and what He is about. And sometimes, sometimes they can even offend us, which is, of course, nothing really new. Jesus' stories offended a lot of people in His own day when He told them. And even though they now seem very distant in terms of their time and cultural location, they, they still sometimes have the power to shock us, to puzzle us, and yes, even to offend us. And of all of Jesus' stories, I think that one of the most shocking and most offensive is the story he tells in Matthew chapter 20, that story about the laborers at work in the vineyard, or as I'm calling it, the story of the workers and their wages. Jesus begins this story in what feels like a very familiar way. For the kingdom of heaven, he says, is like. And then he continues on to explain the nature of God's kingdom by telling a story about a man who owns a vineyard, and he goes out early in the morning and hires some, some day laborers to work in his vineyard, telling them he'll pay them a denarius, which is pretty good pay for a day's work. At least it was at the time. So they agree and they go to the vineyard and they get to work. But then three hours later, roughly around 9 a.m. in the morning, the master goes back out and again he finds some more guys standing around not working and offers to hire them as well. And they agree. He does the same thing around lunchtime, then again around about three in the afternoon, and then again at about five, just an hour before the end of the working day. He goes back out to the town square, finds some more people who need work, and hires them for an hour or so in his vineyard. And then at the end of the day, it's time to pay everyone their wages. So the foreman starts to hand out cash, beginning with the latecomers. And as everybody's watching, he pays the latecomers a denarius, a full day's wage, the exact thing that that master had promised to those men when he hired them at 6 a.m. And, and when they see it, those workers who'd been laboring and sweating all day long, they're understandably excited because they naturally assume that this means they're going to be getting paid a lot more than what they first thought. But that doesn't happen. When the time comes for them to get paid, they receive a denarius, the same amount given to those guys who showed up at five o'clock and worked for just one hour. And you can imagine how they feel and why they feel the need to, to give the master a piece of their mind. Here's how Jesus describes their response. And on receiving their pay, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. I think that almost anyone who hears this story, at least the first time they hear it, I think almost anyone would fully agree with the sentiment of those workers. We sympathize with their discontent. After all, it seems just fundamentally unjust. To quote the Australian New Testament scholar Leon Morris, surely those who had done a full day's solid work under the worst conditions of the day should be paid more than those who had done very little and had done that little in comparative comfort. It wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. That's how those workers felt, 
And like I said, we would most likely agree with them. It really doesn't seem fair. And that's a problem. After all, as with most of Jesus' stories, it's, it's obvious that the master in this story is meant to represent God. And somehow Jesus is trying to teach us something about the nature and the ways of God. But if the master in the story is acting unfairly, if he's being unjust, does that mean that God himself is unjust? Does God not give people what they deserve? Or to quote the Apostle Paul, is there injustice on God's part? Now, Paul has his own answer to that question, of course. And if you want to know what that is, I, I suggest you engage with the study that we produced on the book of Romans, because it's a, it's a question we take up at great length there. But what about this parable? Does this story of Jesus suggest that maybe there is unfairness or injustice in God? Well, what does the master say? How does he respond to those grumbling workers? Friend, he says, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? That last question is an interesting one. Do you begrudge my generosity? In the original Greek language of that verse, the phrase Jesus uses, it's kind of a colloquial phrase. What he literally says is, is your eye evil because I am good? That, that phrase, an evil eye, it's one Jesus actually used before in the Gospel of Matthew, back, back in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. To have a bad eye or an evil eye can refer to several different things, but most often, and especially with the way Jesus uses it, it refers to people who look at others with resentment and envy and malice. So what the master is saying is, are you resentful and angry because I am good? And with that question, Jesus is getting to the heart of what this story is all about. What he's asking the people in his own day, and by extension us, is do you recognize, do you recognize the goodness at work in God's kingdom? And do you welcome that goodness? Or does it make you angry and resentful? So let's explore that question a little further. First, let's talk about the goodness of the master. What does this story demonstrate about the goodness and generosity of God? Uh, before he asks them whether they begrudge his generosity, the master asks those laborers another question. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? I think that's very important, and it gives us some insight into something those workers fundamentally misunderstood. You see, those workers, they believe that their relationship to the master was a relationship based on rights and debts. The master was indebted to them. He owed them. And they had a right to expect him to treat them in a way that reflected that debt. But what the master points out to them is that that was never the basis for their relationship in the first place. Did you not agree with me, he says. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? In other words, hey, remember how this whole day started. 
you were sitting around with nothing to do, no work prospects, no way to provide for yourself or your family, and I showed up and gave you a job. You had no right to that. You did nothing to, to deserve your employment. That was the result of my generosity. At the beginning of the day, when they were first offered a job, those workers, they had responded with enthusiasm and gratitude. But by the end of the day, as they were looking around when people are getting paid, they had forgotten those feelings of gratitude. And now they thought only in terms of what they felt like they deserved, what they had a right to. And you know, that's, that's a common pattern in the Bible, something we see again and again in the history of God's people. People forget about how their relationship with God is founded on His goodness and generosity. And they, they start to think of it as something that's based on what they deserve and what they're owed. Adam and Eve, they forget that their existence is a gift and they start to think that God is holding out on them, trying to keep certain knowledge for himself. The people of Israel, they're miraculously delivered from slavery and then they quickly forget that and they start to complain that they're not getting fed well enough and God isn't treating them as they deserve in the wilderness. And Jesus' own disciples, they often forget that they were nothing but simple fishermen before Jesus called them. And then they get into these arguments about who is the greatest and who deserves to sit on Jesus's right and his left. And so they have to be reminded, God's people have to be reminded again and again. Moses has to remind the Israelites in Deuteronomy about how everything they enjoy, all their safety, all their prosperity, their land itself, Moses tells them, this is all a gift, don't forget. And you didn't deserve any of it. The Apostle Paul, he, he writes these letters to early Christian churches, and in almost all of them, he spends time reminding people of the goodness and grace of God and the fact that everything that we have is a result not of something we've earned, but simply of the kindness and goodness of God. Paul's very blunt about it in his letter to the Corinthians. He asked them at one point what he thinks is an obvious and is a very pointed rhetorical question. What do you have that you did not receive? The point Paul is making is the same as the point this master is trying to make to those workers. You might feel like you deserve something, but that's only because you forget. You forget that you would have had nothing whatsoever apart from my goodness and generosity. It's all a gift. So why then do these workers begrudge him? Where does their resentment come from? Well, like I said, I think one of the major causes of their resentment, the workers' resentment in this story, comes from their forgetfulness. They forget the fact that the conditions of their employment are not based on merit and just desserts, but rather on a gift that they didn't really do anything to earn. And maybe one of the reasons that they forget is because, because they're operating in the world of, of jobs and wages, of the market, of a world of an exchange of goods and services. And they presume that what a person receives in such a market is a direct reflection on what he or she has contributed, what they deserve. And in that sense, they're not very different from us. We today live in a society based on the market economy. 
And the assumption we have is that what makes such an economy fair and just is that what people receive is a direct reflection of what they deserve. But that's not really true, is it? Because even in a market economy, there are more factors at work than what a person contributes and what they have a right to expect in return. And economists who study it, the economists recognize this. For instance, Friedrich Hayek, who is one of the mo greatest and most influential free market economists of the 20th century, he addressed this problem very directly in his writings. And he said that in order to understand how a market economy functions, you have to have a clear distinction between what he called value and merit. Because in a free market, what a person receives in exchange for the goods and services they offer, it's not really a matter of merit. It's not about what they deserve. It's not based on some kind of inherent worth. It's really simply a matter of value. What kind of value in their time and place do other people happen to place on what they provide. And value, value isn't something that we can control. What's more, Hayek says, even, even the talents and the abilities and the opportunities a person has that contribute to her work, even those tend to be beyond our control. There is little, he says, there is little a man can do to alter the fact that his special talents are very common or exceedingly rare a good mind or a fine voice, a beautiful face or a skillful hand, and a ready wit or an attractive personality are in large measure as independent of a person's efforts as the opportunities or experiences he has had. In all these instances, the value which a person's capacities or services have for us and for which he is recompensed has little relation to anything we can call moral merit or deserts. Okay. But what, you might ask, what does that have to do with the resentment these workers are feeling in this story? How does their resentment relate to the musings of some Austrian economist? Well, I think they're actually closely related. You see, the anger, the resentment that these workers felt, it was a result of the fact that they felt cheated. They felt like they had a right to expect certain treatment and, and a certain reward for their labor. Because, because they failed to recognize that their employment and their pay wasn't based on moral merit or desert, as Hayek said. It was based on the generosity of a master and on the value that he assigned. In the same way, we live in a world that's dominated by the, the language of merit and fairness. People get what they deserve. It's what we expect. And of course, in telling this story, Jesus isn't trying to, to set up a different kind of market economy. Jesus isn't suggesting that workers in the first century are simply at the whim of their employers and they should just be grateful for what they get. He's not proposing some kind of economic reform. What Jesus is doing is he's offering a direct challenge to some of the ideas and assumptions we have about the world of work and wages and how that affects our perceptions of the nature and ways of God, as well as how it colors the way that we respond 
to God's treatment of the people around us, to the envy and resentment that we feel. In our everyday life, we tend to interpret the world in terms of merit and just desserts. If you're successful, it's because you deserve it. And if you're not, well, that's probably your fault. But in the kingdom of God, in a world that is created and governed by God, that simply isn't true. For God has never treated us simply as we deserve, nor is his generosity a recognition of our own merit or a paying of some debt. No, the truth of the matter is, as St. Paul reminded those Corinthians, that there is nothing we have that we did not receive. That the story of our lives is a story of pure gift and generosity and that the only proper response isn't resentment or grumbling at the master, but gratitude. <laughs>